You know, I think every preacher must fantasize about the perfect congregation, a church filled to capacity with men and women and children, all eager to worship and learn, all ready to sing their hearts out in praise, all sharing openly in prayer, and all smiling while giving generously. Then, when a time comes for the sermon, all are ready. They want to learn. They're anxious to hear what you have to say. They're attentive and responsive, you know, filling in the outline or following along in the manuscript or taking notes. When the service is over, you know they're going to take what they've experienced with them into the world, and they're going to act upon it. Wow, wouldn't that be wonderful. Who wouldn't want to be the preacher in a perfect congregation? Sadly, I've never seen a perfect congregation. Some are pretty good, but all are less than perfect. But then maybe the problem isn't the congregation, maybe it's the preacher. Maybe if we could find a perfect preacher, we'd also find a perfect congregation. Now, that sounds good in theory, but guess what? Guess what? There, there once was a perfect preacher, but even he didn't have a perfect congregation, and I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. We've been looking at Jesus' teaching on the bread of heaven for the last couple of weeks. And today, we discover where Jesus was when he gave this teaching. It's, it's found in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. This teaching we've been looking at was a sermon given in the synagogue at Capernaum. And it was a powerful, earth-shaking sermon. But the response was less than perfect. In fact, the audience, the congregation, if you will, included a number of grumblers, unbelievers, quitters, and even a betrayer. So let's look at this less than perfect congregation and see if we can't become a better one because of it. We begin with the grumblers. John 6, 60 through 63. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus Conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The New English Bible quotes the disciples, those who had been following Jesus and who were in the congregation that day, as saying, this is more than we can stomach. 
Why listen to such words? No, Jesus was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and the people were repulsed by it. They didn't understand it. They didn't want to understand it. They just didn't want to hear it. And what he had to say was hard to understand, and it was hard to accept. But rather than try, they just said, we didn't come for this. And they started grumbling. What's he talking about? What's he mean? We're supposed to eat him. That doesn't make any sense. And who does he think he is? The bread from heaven? That's crazy. All we wanted was lunch, like we had yesterday when he fed us fish and bread. We didn't come here to hear this crazy bread of heaven talk. Well, Jesus knew that people were grumbling because of what he had said. They may have even thought it blasphemous for him to say he was the bread come down out of heaven. So he asked, does this cause you to stumble? Does this really throw you? What if you should see me ascend back into heaven? Would you believe it then? Or would you simply say, no way, no way, we didn't see that. No one can just float off into heaven. Would you still be so bound up by the physical that you would refuse to see the spiritual? Would you still be blind to who I am and what I'm offering you? Now, he was teaching them spiritual truth, but they were focusing on the physical. All they could see was a man who said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, obviously, eating his flesh would profit them nothing other than a disgusting meal if it were a physical act. It should have been obvious that, they were, that he was saying that the spiritual act of taking him into their lives and finding food for their souls in him would give them life. If they would only listen to what he was saying and allow the Holy Spirit to touch them through it, they would be moved in their spirit and they would find life. But they wouldn't do it. It was too difficult. It was too hard. It was too spiritual. So they resorted to grumbling. He wasn't giving them what they wanted physically, so they ignored the spiritual implications of what he was saying. They shut down. Who can listen to this? They weren't satisfied with what they were getting because they didn't recognize its value. And if we are so focused on the physical that we can't see the value of the spiritual, we will always find something to grumble about in church. If we don't come here looking to be fed spiritually and come here with our hearts open to the Spirit of God, we will leave grumbling about something. And it won't be anyone's fault but our own. Let's not be a congregation of grumblers. And let's not be shocked if we discover there are actually unbelievers in our midst. They were there in the congregation at Capernaum. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Not everyone who listens to the gospel believes it. There were, no doubt, some in Capernaum who did understand what Jesus was saying. They just didn't believe it. They didn't believe he was the bread of heaven. They didn't believe he was the only one who could offer eternal life to mankind. They didn't believe he was the son of God. They hadn't come because they believed in him. They had heard about the miracles and hoped to see one or get one. And they had heard about the free lunch and came for the food. Or maybe a friend or a spouse dragged them there. Or they just thought it would be good for business to go where potential customers could be found. They hadn't come because they heard who he was and believed what they had heard. And they didn't believe what they heard when they got there. They were unbelievers. But looked like everyone else. And they fit in. Everyone thought they belonged there. But Jesus knew their hearts. He knew they didn't believe in him. And he knew they didn't believe in what he was saying. In fact... John says he knew from the beginning who did and who didn't believe in him. From the beginning of what? From the beginning of the sermon? From the first time he met them? From the beginning of time? It can mean any or all of the above. In fact, as God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knows what we will be like before he makes us. And he knows whether we will believe in him and love him or not. But he makes us nonetheless. Now, God doesn't make robots that have to do his will. He creates people in his own image with the freedom to choose with the freedom to believe or not believe, with the freedom to obey or not obey. But he does know who will or not. Now, I don't fully understand how he can know that about us without taking away our freedom, but he does. Perhaps he has limited some aspect of his knowledge about us, particularly his knowledge about some of the choices we'll make in life, and he does so to keep open various possibilities that we can experience together with him. I really don't know how he does it, but I do know he foreknows us and still makes it possible for us to exercise free will. And he knows who will and who won't believe in him. I think that's why Jesus could say that no one could come to him unless it has been granted him from the Father. Now, Jesus is not saying the Father has excluded some from the possibility of knowing his Son. 
He's simply recognizing the fact that both he and the Father know who will and who won't believe. And only those who will can become Christians. Only those who will believe are granted access to Jesus by the Father. Others can be around him. They can hear his words. They can mingle with his people. But they will never be allowed to partake of him because they will never embrace him by faith. They will never believe. I think that means there will always be unbelievers in the midst of the congregation. There will always be some who we think are our brothers and sisters who really aren't. But we don't know who they are. We can't see their hearts. And contrary to what we might expect, it's probably not those who express doubts and who question things who are the unbelievers. Those who doubt and question are usually believers who are trying to understand, who are trying to sort things out, who are trying to strengthen their belief. Unbelievers in the church usually say very little. They just go away unchanged by what they've heard. And some just go away. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, do you not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. As a result of Jesus' teaching, many withdrew from fellowship with him. They didn't like what he was saying. And since they didn't believe who he was, they just left. They had come with a variety of expectations, but they didn't expect hard teaching that would challenge the very foundation of their life. And they had no desire to change. So they left. And we better accept the fact that some people will leave the church today as well. Because when people's expectations aren't met, they leave. And that's not necessarily an indictment on the church. It may be an indictment on their expectations. There is certainly nothing wrong with what Jesus was doing or saying. But people left, nonetheless. In fact, so many were leaving that Jesus asked the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Peter answered for them by saying, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. They were staying because they recognized that only Jesus had the words of eternal life. Where else could they go? He was the bread of life. They believed it. They knew it. Peter said, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God.
They knew who he was, so they weren't leaving. And as long as we remember who Jesus is, we will stay in fellowship with him and with his church. We'll not be quitters. No matter who disappoints us, no matter what expectations aren't met. As long as the bread of heaven is offered in this place, we will be here and will not let the quitters discourage us, no matter how betrayed we feel. In fact, there may very well be actual betrayers in the congregation. There was one in the congregation at Capernaum. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he met Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Peter had spoken for the twelve, but he didn't know the hearts of all twelve. Only Jesus did. Only Jesus knows the hearts of those in the congregation. Only he knows our motivation for being here. And he has made it clear that even in the closest of fellowships, there is often a devil. So we can't even let betrayal shatter us. We can't let the grumblers and the unbelievers and the quitters, and the betrayers come between us and our Lord. Far too many people have left the church because they found it to be less than perfect. But we're not going to find a perfect church because every church family is made up of imperfect people. And that, of course, includes all of us. There is only one who is perfect in the church. So let's keep our eyes focused on him and our focus on his word. And obviously, we must not become grumblers or unbelievers or quitters or betrayers ourselves. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus and strive to be more like him. If we'll do so, we'll make this imperfect church family a little bit better. And if we stay focused on Jesus and strive to be more like him, we will even make our own families a little bit better as well. And you thought I forgot this was Mother's Day, that this wasn't a Mother's Day sermon. But it is. You see, we can all make our families better if we'll stop being grumblers or unbelievers or quitters or betrayers. And that goes for every member of the family. Mothers included. We honor mothers today 
And those who were blessed with godly mothers are fortunate indeed, but even the best of mothers is less than perfect, as are her children and her husband. But if we'll all stop grumbling, believe what we read in God's word, hang in there when the going gets tough, and never betray the trust others have put in us, we'll still be less than perfect, but we'll be a whole lot better. So let's commit ourselves to being more like our perfect big brother in the family of God. Let's commit ourselves to being like Jesus in the home and in the throng, wherever we're gathered with others. Let's not be like those who were so caught up in getting their bellies filled with fish and bread that they walked away from the bread of life. The bread that came down from heaven. The bread that gives eternal life. We would be like our brother. <laughs>